What's wrong with you people? Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, and if you are looking for theological education that includes both academic challenge and hands-on ministry experience, then might we suggest Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary? And the best way to experience Swibbits is to attend their Fall Preview Day on October 21st. Preview Days are your opportunity to see firsthand all that Southwestern Seminary has to offer during your visit You'll tour the campus, speak with faculty, chat with fellow students, and experience the unique campus community of Southwestern Seminary. And all preview day attendees will have a chance to win a $1,500 scholarship. Fall preview day is October 21st, so register today for free at swibbits.edu forward slash preview and Kyle, non-alcoholic beerman, it is marginally good to see you today <laughs> because I am tired and what I want to be doing right this very moment is sleeping because yeah. I have just come in literally this morning from Juneau, Alaska. Yeah, I mean, we're talking like single digit hours ago yeah. that you arrived back home. I so. landed I landed in the Great Republic of Texas after the scenic tour of Alaska by plane uh, that I did not intend to do. So let's just go back. Let's just go back. Okay. So I, I wake up at 6 a.m. No, 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 no. 5 a.m. on yesterday. Yesterday morning. And the first thing I see is a notification from Alaska Airlines that your flight has been canceled. But I couldn't do anything on the app. I had to call in. And I called in. And they said it's been canceled. Your only hope <laughs> to get home today is this flight that said whatever time. It was like 10 o'clock. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ask anything about the flight. I just thought, oh, good. I, you know, 10 o'clock. I'm getting in at midnight. That's nah, not great. Uh, but I didn't really know. I was like stopping in every small town. Yeah. In Alaska. Yeah, you were on like the Greyhound bus of flights in yes. uh, in Alaska. We literally, like, we would get up. To cruising altitude and go down like there's no drink service no nothing and and half the and in the flight we were on like the wi-fi didn't work until uh you you were up in the air so i had like five minutes uh to to check things while i was up there so i just tried to give up and uh and take a nap but of course i couldn't because the next thing i knew we were landing and uh, in one of those i think it was ketchikan i don't know if i said that right but ketchikan alaska I don't even know that I spelled it right multiple times on Facebook and so forth. But in Ketchikan, if you got off of the plane, you were already out of the security. And so you'd have to go back through security. So if you wanted to you know, stretch your legs out or whatever, just stay in the plane. And so that's what I did. I just stayed on the plane and I got some of my steps in just walking up and down. Hey, the there aisle. you go. And uh, so did that, landed in Seattle. And, and I think we could take a moment just to talk about this uh, because in Seattle, Right. I'm going to repeat that town, Seattle, Washington. The Starbucks in the airport in Seattle, Washington, closed home of Starbucks at 4 p.m. <laughs> now, so so now, we need now, to have a conversation before, before about we this. talk about that. Let me just say right. I'm OK with that. Starbucks is the worst. And I, I was able to get like mom and pop coffee there. That was amazing. But I'm just like, bro. This Seattle. That should be like 24 hours. Like, y'all should just have coffee here just flowing 
you know, that you could just grab a cup and just go. But no, no, there wasn't. And and when we were talking about that, you said, what is the deal with these airport things? And like the restaurants closing at like 5 p.m. or whatever. Like it doesn't make any yeah. sense. So so I've not traveled extensively. I've, I've traveled uh, some for, for NAM. And and thankfully, I've, I've not had a whole lot of flight headaches. But I have been sitting at DFW Airport or actually at Love Field Airport um, waiting on an airplane that's been delayed and delayed and delayed. And I mean, there's an airport full of people and restaurants and even like the, the little stores are closing. And I think there's like one of the like little airport, you know, convenience stores or whatever, where you can go buy a pack of gum for four fifty or whatever. And, and yeah, one that one, that one thing will stay open, but but my, what's the deal? Like, if you have an airport full of people, why on earth are you closing your doors? Um, because I, I've been there. I'm sure you have too. Where you know you get a flight delayed and and you come in late, and um, you know you have a you have a layover and you're looking for food, and there's nothing. Like nothing's open. Um, and and you know if it's on Sunday and you walk past Chick Fil A, you're like, okay, it's Sunday. You know, but if it's 8 p.m. and you walk past Whataburger and they're closed, like that's a rage that just that builds inside of you. And then, as you mentioned, yes, Starbucks, you know, my word, people, people rely on that uh, on on the coffee. You know, you know what else causes a rage inside of me? What, What is that? Myths about small church pastors. I recently wrote an article. That was nice. I wrote a little article for for Lifeway Research on. I I was kind of putting on my MythBusters hat, and uh, I I think it was about a year ago. I was on the Glass House podcast with Ben Mandrell. This is uh, the CEO, president, whatever, uh, boss man at Lifeway, and uh, and we talked about some some myths about. Small church pastors, and and that wasn't really what we. I mean, we were going to talk about small church ministry, but it turned into some of these myths, the different things that that we hear as small church pastors, or or maybe we even thought perhaps. Uh, and and then I get this kind of request out of the blue: Hey, would you write an article about that? And so, and, and you know, they mentioned I said all of these things on on a podcast, and so I'm like, what podcast? And our podcast. Oh, okay. So I I found it. And I remembered what I said. And and I made some tweaks and I wrote a few things and uh, and so the first thing, of course, because of your boss, we have to make this point <laughs> is that it's not small church pastors, right? It's normative church yes. pastors because only ten percent of churches have more than two hundred and fifty people and seventy percent have one hundred yep. or fewer. And so it's not a small church; it's a normal church. It's normative. It's what is the reality of ministry in America. And so the vast majority of churches are small in attendance. But even with that, let's just not quibble about the wording, right? The vernacular we're going to use. And let's talk about a few myths about the pastors who lead these small, normative, average, whatever you want to say, churches. Now, out of the bat, I I wanted to make the point that your mileage may vary, right? Maybe... You agree with some of these things and you're like, uh, y'all are kind of the worst or, you know, there's a chip on your shoulder or you really kind of hate it in the middle of nowhere. But but all of these things were said to me 
on multiple occasions. So it wasn't just like this one jack wagon out there that said one of these things to me. This is something that was said often or implied many, many times. And, and maybe even as we say some of these today that you've even said them yourself or thought them yourself. And so I know we've got people that listen into this that may pastor churches over 250 or fewer than 50, right? We, we kind of cover the gamut there. But the first one is we're second class. Now, let's not talk about Kyle Beerman, because Kyle Beerman's not second class. He's like third or fourth class. But myth number one is that we are second class, that there's this idea that it's like the, the small church guys are the minor leagues, while the mega church guys, that's the big show. That's the guys that are actually able to, to do great things. And so this idea that, that it's this second tier, this second class of pastors. And one of the things that I said is that every church in every context has challenges. A small church pastor's pain point is going to be different than a large church pastor's pain point. And as a pastor in the middle of nowhere may have different struggles than the guy who shares a parking lot with Chick-fil-A in the city. And when I wrote that, I nearly had like in parentheses, but that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Except it's closed on Sunday. But, you know, if you shared the, you know, the parking lot with the Whataburger, you could go and grab you a little number one right after yeah. the service. That would be pretty good. That would be like not first or second tier. That would be like top of the class. But anyway, this idea, this myth that pastors of small churches are second class, let's bust that wide open. Talk to me about why we are not second class pastors. Yeah, well, the the main reason is because pastors of normative-sized churches are serving God's people, just like pastors of churches over 250, churches over 500, mega churches. Every, everyone is, every pastor is laboring to serve God's people, to proclaim God's word, to make disciples, to meet needs within their community. And, and I really like what you pointed out, that every church in every context has challenges, because I think the the flip side of this myth that, that normative size pastors can begin to develop is the, kind of this pipe dream of, man, if I was just in a mega church, I wouldn't have to deal with these problems, right? And and you might not have to deal with those specific problems, but there would be problems, and and as I've gotten to know um, pastors of larger churches through through the work with Nam and and I'm sure as you have as well, um, it, it's kind of knocked some of that luster off, right? Of of oh man, you know if I could just get to a bigger church, all these problems would be solved. No, you would you would discover brand new problems, and so there is no ministry that is not challenging, but there's also no ministry, no ministry at all that's not important. And so we need to begin to see the value in small churches, in rural churches, in suburban churches, urban churches, everywhere. If, if a church has been planted there, God has a plan and God has a purpose for it. And it's not a second class plan. It is, it is the great commission that has been given to all believers, all churches to make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, and one of the other things I pointed out is we're not dumb. We're different. Now, I've realized, you know, the two people saying this uh, are rather dumb and we've different. Done, we've done so. We've done dumb things. We've done we've dumb not... things. 
It's not our identity is not dumbness. We've just dumb, dumb things. Uh, but we're not dumb. We're different. It's not second class. It's not a step down. It's just different. And and I shared kind of just, just a recent day that I had in, in my role as associational missionary that I walked out of a meeting with a pastor of a church with nearly 20,000 in average attendance to go and have coffee with a guy whose church averages about 80 or so. And, and yes, one obviously has a a larger reach and and platform and and all of that kind of stuff, uh, but neither of them are greater or less significant in God's kingdom. And and I shared the story there about the fill-in preacher of a small Methodist primitive church that led the Prince of Preachers Charles Spurgeon to to Jesus. And so, you know, what I said and, was and in, and in what and in what Spurgeon said was not a very good sermon. Yeah. If you yeah. go back and read, and but. That's what that's what one Spurgeon to the Lord was a mediocre sermon by a fill-in preacher. Yep. And so whether you lead a big church, small church in the big city or the middle of nowhere, you matter to God and to the kingdom, no matter where your so-called influence or platform on earth uh, may be weighed. And so you matter. Uh, you're not second tier. You're not second class. So myth number one is small church pastors. It's not the minor leagues. Okay. And, and accordingly... This other myth is that we somehow lack capacity, right? If if you really were a leader, you would be at a mm -hmm. large church, a medium to a large or even a mega church. If you were truly a leader, truly a gifted preacher, and I think we all know, and we saw with the SBC Pastors Conference, is we had, or the SBC Pastors Conference, we had a pastor of like 40 or 50, all the way up to 3,500. And you know what they all had in common? a great ability to preach. They're all doing great work in their churches. They all have capacity. And so along the lines of we're not second tier and so forth, but the pastor of a large church is not necessarily a higher capacity leader than the pastor of a small church. We would just say that the leadership abilities that they have are just in maybe different areas, because yeah. you and I both know at First Alamogordo or at Mayhill, we wore every hat there was to wear. Preacher, song leader, youth leader, janitor, audio, video tech, you know, the, the guy that's doing all the, the internet help for their church members that are over 70 years old, right? They couldn't turn on their mouse, whatever it might be. Like we were doing all of that, but my choice to serve in the quote unquote middle of nowhere was not because I lacked capacity to serve in a large uh, church city or large church in the city. I didn't serve a small church because I had leadership weaknesses, or I didn't have the create creativity necessary to do that. I served there. Why, Kyle? You served there because you loved the people and you loved Jesus. Yeah, you didn't read my article. I served there because <laughs> God called me there. Right? So, <laughs> yes. so just as pastoring a small church in a small town is not second-class ministry, it also does not signal a lack of ability to be in a big church in the heart of any big city. And so, Let's talk about this, this this idea that while the small church pastor's breadth may be numerically tiny, right? They're not leading 20,000 people uh, on, on Sunday or, or whatever, that numerically it is a tiny width to their ministry. The need for us to have a greater breadth of expertise as a solo pastor should tell us something that we don't lack capacity or ability. Right, we we have a wide range of skills. Talk to us about that. Why why do we not lack capacity? Yeah, so I think that's a that's a misunderstanding of 
leadership capability is if, if you're just looking at the size of the church that that an individual leads that that takes a certain type of leadership but that leader would probably struggle in a really big way in a rural church where they're having to lead where they're having to wear a lot of hats because that's a different leadership style a different leadership capacity uh, so I've been reading, uh, the last few days, a, a book called The Forgotten Church, Why Rural Ministry Matters for Every Church in America by a guy named Glenn Damon. He made a really good point about, uh, he's talking about rural folks and that the, we perceive the, a myth about rural people that they're uneducated. He makes this point about education, which I think uh, s- serves our point well here about the capacity of rural leaders. He says this, ultimately, true education is not determined by how many degrees a person has, but how well a person can understand the situation and develop the right course of action in response. All right. So, so there's this idea of education beyond just degrees, the idea of leadership capacity beyond just looking at the church, the size church that they lead, because there is a leadership um, in smaller churches where, uh, you, you know, you don't have, a secretary to screen your calls where, where uh, there is no one, you know, filtering emails um, and, and de- determining for you the high priority emails that you personally need to respond to. Um, you know, there is no green room to escape to in between services. I mean, you, you are going to, in, in a small church, you're going to interact with everyone. And that means um, Matt, as, as you and I both experienced, sometimes right before the service, sometimes right before the sermon, somebody's going to find you and um, have a complaint, right? Like like right before this the sermon, somebody walks up, hey, the the toilet in the ladies' restroom is uh, clogged and overflowing, and it's one of those great. I, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about that in this exact moment. Um, but, but it goes back, you know, we talked about being a resourceful journalist, wearing every hat. And, and that is a certain leadership uh, calling. That's a certain leadership characteristic in that, that is required in a small church. That's just not in, in a larger church for a pastor to do all these things, because more than likely you have um, different people to, to handle maintenance or janitorial, where if you're in a church of 50 people, you may be that person as well, at least for a season until you can raise up someone to, to take over. And uh, so, yeah, it's not a, you know, to say that a, a small church pastor lacks capacity is um, completely disregarding the difference in the leadership style that's required for a small church versus a larger church. Yeah. And then taking both of those together, Number three, and it's going to require a a couple of caveats, perhaps, but number three, uh, myth, we hate it here and we want to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, uh, there there are those and and we know them, you know, and and we've seen it and they exist. Um, It's it is common uh, where where some some guys and some of these myths are because of this, uh, but where pastors will go and they'll kind of cut their teeth at the little small tiny rural church so that they can then get the experience to go up into the kind of the medium-sized church then they use that church to get into the large church you know they they use churches as stepping stones and we're not really talking about that uh what we want to talk about here is that there are many 
many brothers out there uh, that truly believe that God has called them for perhaps even a lifetime to the middle of absolute nowhere to a small church that's running, you know, 50 to 150 maybe, and they love it there and they have zero desire to advance, quote unquote, onto bigger or better pastures, you know, that kind of thing. And so this one really ties those two together, that we're not second class citizens. We're not the minor leagues, right? Just trying to bide our time until, you know, the mega church comes calling. Uh, we're, we're not out there because we lack capacity. We have the skills. You and I both had degrees. We had the experience. We had all of that, but we felt called to be out there uh, in small towns and small churches and that sort of deal. And yes, there are some that will use churches as stepping stones, but those really are the exceptions to the rule because most small church pastors that you and I both know love leading their churches where their churches are. And actually, when we wrote a book about replanting rural churches, we we brought in two guys to really write that up, ep- that not that episode, that that part of the book on staying and enduring and persevering. Yep. And what was it? There's something like over 50 years between these two yep. pastors. Um, and, uh, and so that's the norm in, in reality. And this kind of was a response to how often I would hear things like, how long are you going to waste in Mayhill? Like, Mm -hmm. how how long are you going to waste in Mayhill? And, uh, and the reality was one, I wasn't wasting any time in Mayhill, uh, because if there are people there that Jesus died for, that God loves and that God has sent me there to disciple and equip and everything else. And they matter. I'm not wasting time there anyway. The only reason that I left there, as I shared in the article, was an ailing father uh, that just opened that kind of that heart desire to maybe leave and be there during those final days. And uh, and so that pulled me out kind of kicking and screaming into a new role as an associational missionary. And I know you have your new role with uh, replant uh, team at NAM. Uh, but the reality is, I don't think either one of us view those roles as moving on up. Uh, no. It's just a different role that God is using in different ways. And so yeah. uh, many pastors that you and I know that pastor these small churches are not second class. They don't lack capacity. Many of them don't even lack degrees. Some of them have the exact same degrees that that the pastors of, of mega churches or, or large churches, or maybe even more degrees and more experience. Uh, it may be even more engaging preaching. Uh, but uh, and they have no desire to move on up. Uh, but but let's talk about that one. This idea that we hate it here and just want to leave. We're just biding our time until you know the big church in the city comes calling. Yeah, and and I think as as you said, I mean there are certainly some who who would see small towns as nothing more than stepping stones. Um, but by far, the the vast majority of the pastors um, whom we've encountered in small towns. And then small churches love their churches. Um, you know, I had a, I had, a I had lunch last week with a um, with a gentleman in a in a smaller church in um, uh, in, a, in a city out here in West Texas. And I mean, he absolutely loves his church. He loves his community. He was talking about how um, you know some things they're doing to to reach into their neighborhood. So so not just pull people from from all over the city, but really to to reach the folks. Um, that are around the address of, of, of their church's location. Um, and, you, you know, that that's really refreshing to me to see guys who have 
um, found an identity, if that makes sense, as, the, as a pastor in that community. And they love their community. I mean, they're at, you know, I love seeing all the pictures on Friday nights from pastors at their small town football games and, um, you know, seeing ways that they're invested in, um, in their communities. Uh, you know, yesterday was see you at the polls. So a lot of a lot of folks were posting about stuff that was happening in their community. You could just see this love that that pastors have for their communities and for their churches. And so, you know, while you know, none of us can guarantee that we're going to be in a role or in a certain pastorate or a church for 30, 40 years. Um, what what does encourage me is to see guys loving their people and loving their churches well, as long as God has called them to be there. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, I, th- I think it's important, you know, to, for both of us, um, we, we didn't see these as moving up. They, they're very different roles. Um, they're very, it's a, it's a very different season of ministry. Um, but, you know, I know neither one of us have ruled out going back into pastoring at some point. Um, you know, if, if the Lord so calls and, and, and we feel a, a call to a church. I, I think we're both of us would say yes. We're open to that um, at some point. But it's yeah. It's, you have to get rid of this idea of oh, I need to. I've got to move up. I've got to be here for three years to build my resume and then and then move up. No, that's that's ridiculous. Um, in, in the kingdom of God, that there is no moving up. There is sometimes moving to a new role, moving to a new position, but. Uh, you know, following the call of God, but I think we've got to strike this idea of I've, I've got to climb this ladder of success in ministry. That's that's not from I don't think that's from the scriptures at all. Yeah, yeah, and and at the end of the day, kind of our final word here is that there is no insignificant ministry. Whether yep. you start, and so this is this is true of our members and and our pastors, but but there is no insignificant ministry. I shared. Uh, yesterday uh, was the 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 day that my dad turned in his keys at First Baptist Church in Grand Prairie yep. after 39 years of of being quote unquote security. Uh, you know his his job was unlocking the doors, and back in the day that was also getting there at like 4 a.m. in the morning or 5 a.m. in the morning to turn on the boiler room for so the church would have heat uh, and yep. so forth. Nobody saw him ever do that job. I went with him many times to do that job because I was an early riser and I was up. So I'd get to go with him. Nobody saw him opening the doors. Nobody saw him turning on the boiler room. But I promise you, that was a very significant ministry because had he not unlocked the door, had he not turned on the boiler room, that that church service was going to be different. We might be having a drive-in service outside because not everybody was going to have a key yeah. to the place. So, yeah. you know, whether you serve behind the scenes as as that nursery worker rocking the baby during the service or you're running the audio and video, video of course, we, we know how significant that is the moment you're late and changing the screen and everybody. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody right? thinks you about it. People until to notice you be a little late on changing that screen. And the same thing is true as pastor, whether you're pastoring 20,000 people or 20, there is no insignificant ministry, whether you're behind the scenes and out of the limelight or in the most prominent church on the planet. Just be faithful wherever God calls you and be content to stay there until he tell, takes you elsewhere, even if that elsewhere is even a smaller church. A smaller church. I've shared how every 
uh, position I've taken has has gone backwards in the sense of, you know, where Pipe Creek was about 40 or 50 and then grew it to about 100 and then I left. And then Mayhill was about 30 or 40, grew it to about 150, 160 or so. And then then I left. Same thing with youth groups. I started, I guess my first one was about 50 youth uh, that we grew. Last one had two. You know, so it's always moved back anyway, but but until he takes you elsewhere, just be faithful. And so my final word to to pastors, specifically the small church pastor, especially, you are seen and known today. Your worth is not in your Twitter reach or how many you have in your pews, but in Christ Jesus alone. And also to the larger church pastor, don't look down on the small church pastors. View them as yeah. crucial leaders in God's work to advance his kingdom. He uses all of us in different ways to accomplish his plans of advancing the kingdom. And the gospel is indeed on the move. So Kyle, give us a final word and then send us out. Yeah. So two two things. First of all, if you are a no, larger one. church, one final I, word. No, I'm just kidding. I have, I have two things. If you, if you are a larger church pastor in, in, you know, one of the larger churches in your association, I would say make it a point to build relationships with the smaller church pastors, um, whether and and to see how you can partner. Whether that's you know if there's a church that's really struggling and your church has the financial capability to help, or just meet and and offer some encouragement. Um, that that goes a long way to to break those you know the, the divides or the um, the the side of oh you know the bigger church is, is glamorous and it has it all together you you can break some of that and you can really provide an encouragement to guys in smaller churches if you will make it a point to do that and secondly if you are in the small church and you need some encouragement um, our book replanting rural churches is, is obviously geared towards rural but um, it's just an encouraging booklet that you can read in, in probably one sitting. Uh, if you're in rural churches, specifically the Forgotten Church by Glenn Damon is a great one as well. And then if you are in a small church, uh, the book Small Church Essentials by Carl Vaders, Vaders with a V, is, a, is just a helpful equipping tool as well to help you think through some strategies that work in your context. Um, and so thank you so much for listening today. Uh, we love you. If we can do anything for you, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, maybe give Hensley the weekend to recover from Alaska and then, then reach out on Monday. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for listening. God bless you. And until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. What's wrong with you people?